Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week with uh, Dr. Booza Kelly. And to, uh, today we have a very special guest. His name is Lyle, and he is the chapter leader for Courage here in Nashville. And uh, welcome to the show, Lyle. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Excellent. And today our topic is going to be talking about the, the uh, international organization uh, called Courage, uh, which is a particular ministry with those with same-sex attraction. Uh, and this is a, a very pertinent topic today uh, and many of the things that are happening in the world. And I think it's something, especially for Catholics, that when it comes to talking about our Catholic faith, many times when it comes to especially the moral issues, this is one of the first things that people bring up is the topic of homosexuality, or more accurately speaking, you know, same-sex attraction. Uh, so Lyle, to get us started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Courage, maybe, you know, what are their goals, uh, what has been your, uh, how did you get involved encourage and just kind of give us a, a good introduction to the ministry itself. Sure. Um, Courage has been around since about 1980. Uh, it was founded by Father John Harvey in uh, New York at the direction of Cardinal Terrence Cook. Cardinal Cook realized at that point that there was a real need for the church to minister to people who were dealing with same-sex attraction, and he appointed Father Harvey to lead that. So from those roots, we have courage today. Courage is designed to assist people who have same-sex attraction to live chaste lives in accordance with the Catholic Church's teaching. Um, and I, I can say not just the teaching, but the Catholic Church's understanding of what it is to be a human being. Um, you know, the, uh, the five goals of courage are number one, to live chaste lives in accordance with the Roman Catholic Church's teaching on homosexuality. Um, number two, to dedicate our entire lives to Christ through service to others, spiritual reading, prayer, meditation, individual spiritual direction, frequent attendance at mass, and the frequent reception of the sacraments of reconciliation and Holy Eucharist. Number three is to foster a spirit of fellowship in which we may share with one another our thoughts and experiences, and so ensure that no one will have to face the problems of homosexuality alone. Number four is to be mindful of the truth that chaste friendships are not only possible, but necessary in a chaste Christian life, and to encourage one another in forming and sustaining these relationships. And number five is to live lives that may serve as good examples to others. Yeah, those are very those are very good goals. And I, I mean, even just you know, generally speaking, I think I would recommend them to any um, any like heterosexual person, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Chastity is not something that just uh, people with same sex attraction are called to. You know, this is for everybody. Uh, you know, this is this is what it means to flourish as a human being. Right. Well, there are there are plenty of heterosexual people who who don't you know, have a very difficult time sustaining uh, chaste friendships with women, right? Or with, yeah. you know, people of the opposite sex. They right. And I think, you know, uh, the, the, the third goal you talked about, you know, uh, that no one, will no one will have to face the problems of homosexuality alone. 
You know, I, th- I remember, you know, I think it was Mother Teresa when she came to the United States. She said, you know, one of the things she lamented, uh, not only the scourge of abortion, but, you know, she one of the things she said was that uh, uh, with, a, with a place that has so many people, it's sad to see so many people uh, who are alone. You know, and I think that's... Uh, one of the one of the best things that I think you know courage brings to the brings to the thing is you know letting people know you don't have to do this alone you're not the only one uh, this isn't a, a necessarily a unique problem to you but it's one that many people are going through and like I mean everything else whether you're whether you have same sex same sex attraction or you're uh, heterosexual you need uh, good fellowship you need uh, good Catholic friends. Uh, to live the Catholic life. It's just, it's a necessary part. It's the way that God created us, uh, part of that. I, I just have a, I have a, a question um, about that. And it's a question, sort of a conversational question, right? Um, p- today, right, there's a huge movement among uh, the diabolical, right? Mm-hmm. To want to eliminate essentially the, the whole category of shame from our lives. Right. We never want to be ashamed of anything that we do, unless, of course, it's what they don't approve of. But like, as far as, you know, what I want to do, uh, I should never be ashamed of that. And if I if I made somehow to feel shame, then violence is being done to me. Right. What I think it would be helpful to um, try to articulate. Right. Would be how this approach, which is actually, you know, really sort of universal in any kind of Christian support group, right? Uh, it's very common, right, for Christianity to recognize in one another uh, our own tendencies towards sin in whatever way they happen to be, and to um, accept one another as the people that God wants us to be instead, and to encourage each other to become those people, right? So that's an approach that doesn't emphasize shame, right? It doesn't, it, it, in other words, we we're not saying you should be ashamed. That's not their primary. That's not actually what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. We are ashamed of the evil that we do or have done in the past. Uh, we're ashamed even of the things that we may desire to do, right? If I have a disordered desire, I may have some shame uh, about that. But I don't. And it's like Saint Paul, right, when he says. There's a war within my members. The good that I would do, I do not do. The evil that I would uh, avoid, I do that instead, right? And Paul clearly has some experience of shame about this fact about himself. Um, and yet, he's not defined by that, right? And he's um, uh, he, he's um, the conversation isn't about his sinfulness. It's about his quest for holiness, right? And that's so. How how are these things? How do we communicate to people that? Um, and, and I mean, this gets to actually some of the other some of the other um, uh, variants on um, on support groups for people with same sex attraction in the Catholic Church, right? Right. Um, how, how do we get? How do we um, distinguish between a movement that wants to eliminate the concept of shame altogether about sin? Versus one in which um, in which we don't have to be ashamed in the presence of these other people because because what this is really about is our striving to be holy. Yeah, I think that part of what happens in courage is that we uh, 
we don't so narrowly define ourselves in terms of what we find attractive. Uh, you know, when I was a, a young man and was coming to the realization that this was, you know, part of my makeup, um, my greatest fear was that, uh, you know, I'd be rejected by friends, by family. Um, this was in the, you know, late 70s, 1980s, things like that were not uh, socially acceptable. Um, it was a good way to get, uh, get beat up and bullied at that point. Um, so in that sense, I think things have improved. I think uh, the pendulum has gone a little too far as far as, uh, uh, you know, actually applauding and approving uh, things that are uh, inherently unhealthy and things that are inherently uh, counter to our human nature. And that being said, I always said that, uh, you know, I was not simply, you know, gay or attracted to the same sex or what have you. Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, from this town, you know, a member of this family, um, you know, I, you know, this was my faith. This was my, uh, community. This was, you know, there were all kinds of things that came together in this one person and to try to reduce that one person to one characteristic, uh, was, was an absurd reductionism. I remember, uh, you know, in political discussions, uh, there was, uh, there was no room for anything other than a particular, uh, political agenda. There was no room for, uh, for any kind of variance within the gay community for any sort of, well, maybe this isn't right. Maybe this isn't healthy. You know, can we talk about it? No, no, we cannot. We cannot talk about this. We are fine just as we are. And, uh, and if we're depressed or uh, struggle with alcoholism or what have you, then it's because society doesn't like us enough. Well, we've come full circle. Uh, society pats us on the back, uh, no matter what our um, proclivities, no matter what our, uh, you know, this is who I am is, uh, no, you're, you're far more than that, my friend. You're far more than that. And, and don't allow yourself to be reduced to simply that one thing is the advice I give to those folks. Well, it, it's bizarre to want to reduce somebody to just that one aspect of their lives. I mean, con to consider it from the perspective of, of a heterosexual person. So it, it reminds me of Sigmund Freud, right, who in his psychoanalysis really kind of reduces everything to the sexual drive, right? And is this actually defining your entire existence? Are you nothing more than, 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 your, um, than your sexual attractions? It's no heterosexual person, well, I don't want to say no, but I mean, I, I don't know personally a lot of heterosexual people who would accept that that kind of reductionism for themselves. And so it strikes me as odd, you know, that, that other people would allow themselves to be reduced that way. Whether, you know, whatever it happens to be, whether it's same-sex attraction or one's race or something like that, anything like that, right? This kind of, this category politics, right? These identity politics mm -hmm. that we get. And I think when it comes to shame, you know, shame is obviously, you know, it is a, uh, a result of sin with original sin came shame. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, shame is there to also in some way uh, protect us from being abused, protect us from being objectified and used. Uh, so the shame, you know, so while shame is a result of sin, you know, I think it does have a positive aspect in protecting us. There are certain things that, you know, uh, should be shameful in a way. But again, to not, uh, I, I think where, where courage really comes in is it, it really does seem like a, a dichotomy of choices. Either you have to remain in your shame alone or you have to carry the banner, carry the flag. And, and I mean, even when you think about uh, the, the gay agenda, you know, their motto is what? Pride. You know, from a Catholic standpoint. Yeah, that should be a very big red flag, you know, when your mantra is one of the seven deadly sins. Exactly. Pride in what? Yeah, you know, right. Uh, yeah. Pride in the fact that you have uh, a disordered attraction. Okay, well, nobody asks for that attraction. You know, I, I certainly, in my own life, I, I don't remember waking up one day and saying, oh, being a adolescent uh, isn't hard enough. Being a teenager isn't hard enough. Let me add attraction to members of the same sex to that because, you know, I'm just ready for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not just these two choices where you're either you remain in your shame alone or, you know, or you have to carry the banner of, of being prideful about something uh, that even you may understand uh, to be harmful or maybe even something like you had said something you didn't just wake up and ask for. So how do you, you know, how do you even deal with this? And I think, Lyle, could you tell us a little bit about maybe Encourage, uh, one of the branches of, of Courage there? It might help to explain that uh, the five goals of Courage that mm -hmm. I, I started with earlier, uh, that's really the backbone of what Courage is about. Um, supportive of those five goals is... Um, an adaptation of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, so on, those other type of groups. And while those are not the basis of courage, five goals are the basis, mm -hmm. the 12 steps uh, adapted to courage uh, support that. So analogous to Alcoholics Anonymous is courage. Analogous to Al-Anon, uh, which is a support organization uh, for people who are not in themselves alcoholic, but are the friends and family of the alcoholic, is Encourage. So, uh, you know, these are rough analogs. These aren't exact. Sure. But, sure. Uh, you know, if someone has a child or a parent or, you know, a friend or a loved one, who is themselves dealing with the same sex attraction, whether or not that individual embraces the goals of courage, or if that person says, well, I'm going to live this out, I'm going to you know, live in the gay lifestyle, then you know, for the family or the friends, that can be a real devastating thing to have happen to them. Uh, and so encourage is there as, as a, a ancillary support group for those friends and family. And uh, it's, in fact, uh, every bit as important a part of what courage is about as courage itself. If you've never read the 12 steps, uh, uh, I encourage our listeners, go read the 12 steps, uh, because many times the 12 steps get kind of uh, pigeonholed into, 
well, the 12 steps are good for those who are uh, addicted to something or other, which is, I, I don't think we should, you know, simply pigeonhole the 12 steps in that way. Because in one way, you know, they're, they're helpful for absolutely everybody. We're all recovering sinners, right? Uh, we can all make use of, of the 12 steps in some way. I remember uh, attending a couple of uh, Al-Anon meetings uh, with a friend who was going and uh, who's going through uh, some recovery. And, and I just, I found them to be just absolutely amazing. Um, just the, the, the openness, the honesty, the realism that they brought to uh, people's lives and people's experiences to, to genuinely look at the experiences, um, to discern them, to, to, to look at them in a real way and not just kind of uh, superficially go, go past your experience, but to analyze them. You know, is this good for me? Is this not good for me? Uh, and I think it's uh, I think it's absolutely helpful. Uh, so we have courage for those who are um, struggling with same sex attraction or who want who have same sex attraction and want to live the church's teaching. And we have encourage, which is there for family members and others who have people uh, who are dealing with same sex attraction. Now, what what maybe separates courage from some of the other uh, quote unquote ministries that are out there, whether, whether it be something like New Ways Ministries or, or Dignity USA, what what separates courage from them? Well, I've never participated in those other groups, but you know, from reading their literature, uh, looking at their websites, uh, things like that, they do place a really high emphasis on acceptance, acceptance of the individual, but also, and this is where they differ from courage acceptance of you know, the same-sex attraction as a positive good. Um, they, you know, whereas the, the church's teaching is quite clear that uh, chastity is something that all Christians, all humans are called to. You know, chastity depends uh, how that looks for one individual is going to vary uh, from what it looks like to another. So as far as I'm familiar with them, those other groups are not uh, pro-chastity. Uh, they're, in fact, uh, pro-same-sex activity. You know, they're what I shorthand uh, call, you know, dating groups for, for Catholics who identify as gay. Yeah. They have as basic as a goal to normalize um, same-sex attraction within, within the frame of Catholic teaching. I would say, I'd agree with that. And, you know, and, yeah, the, uh, they they certainly don't seem to understand how um, how church teaching comes about, uh, how it evolves, how it develops, uh, things like that. They do seem to be un more under the impression that this is something that we can, you know, based on a vote, you know, we can change this. We can change church teaching on on this. On on what else could we change church teaching? You know, that's one of the reasons I'm not an Episcopalian anymore. Uh, because I don't think you can vote on morality. I don't think you can vote on what constitutes right and wrong. So this this brings up an interesting topic of, of acceptance. What what is the, what does that mean uh, for for somebody that's you know reaching out to courage or something like that, or or even you know for us as Catholics, what does it mean uh, to accept persons who experience same sex attraction? Well, to me, it means that you accept the person. Uh, you certainly treat them with the respect and the dignity that they deserve as a child of God. They deserve every respect, every sort of affirmation of them as human being. Mm -hmm. To 
to accept necessarily what they do or accept, uh, you know, what they want to do as being okay under any and all circumstances uh, is a slippery slope uh, that is not a fallacy <laughs> uh, to say that, uh, you know, okay, well, if, if I can accept you uh, because you identify as, uh, as gay and accept your gayness, for lack of a better phrase, accept your, your proclivity as a normal thing, then I have no defense against uh, accepting the next thing that comes down the line. Uh, if, if you identify as, uh, as someone of the opposite sex, then I have no, no defense against that. I think it's a denial of what it is to be a human being to accept uh, you know, the, the disorder as being normal, as being ordered, in fact. Yeah, and, and I think not even ordered, but but it's really pushed on us to to see it as a good, it, it, which I think completely just brings it to a whole nother dimension when we move it from something that is, you know, the church just saying, you know, while they may not be culpable for it in a lot of these things, it, it is it does remain objectively disordered. So for somebody to say, well, not only should you not call it a disorder, um, but you should see it as a positive good uh, of the human person. Uh, I think that, yeah, it completely brings in uh, a different dimension of acceptance that, that the church is not talking about. And, it, right. and, and, and when you look at anything else like that, it wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't uh, hold this uh, if, it was, if it was any other uh, disorder or sin. You know, I wouldn't accept rich you know, if he decided, you know what, um, you know, the Old Testament, you know, there's a lot of polygamy in there, and I think it's really good. You know, I'd be like, no, Rich, you can't do that. You know, uh, um, I do not accept that. You know, but, you know, Rich and I wouldn't stop being friends. I mean, we'd have a, some long discussions, I'm sure. But there, there is this, this difference, like you pointed out very nicely. Uh, when we're talking about acceptance of a person, it means you love them. You love their, uh, and that's persons with all of their strengths, their weaknesses, their problems. I mean, my wife still loves me. So, I mean, it, it is possible to live out this idea of loving the person as a whole uh, with all of their strengths and weaknesses. But at the same time, we don't say that these weaknesses uh, uh, are good things and try to build them up as, as almost virtuous. Brings us back to that question we, we were discussing before about the distinction between feeling like I need to sort of be ashamed um, all the time, uh, sort of live in shame, right? Versus, I guess what I want to, the way I would describe it is kind of directing my shame at its proper object, right? Which is the sin or the, or the tendency to sin, right? my own weakness of which I might be ashamed, right? I mean, we all have, we all have this, but all of us in the fallen state have, um, have desires that are some, that are disordered or disproportionate in some way, misdirected. And one of the things that I think that we don't, we simply don't accept, we don't understand in um, the contemporary world, right? Is that true freedom, true liberty is not simply my ability to um, do what I want, right? That's not, that actually isn't what freedom involves. Freedom involves the capacity to forego that which I want, right? To will other than what I want. And that's a hard thing for people to understand, right? But if you think about a dog and a steak on the table, right? Um, the reason the dog doesn't eat the steak 
is that the dog is afraid that if he eats the steak, he's going to get killed by the alpha, right? I mean, he's going to get beaten up by the alpha somehow. And you're the alpha. So if you have the steak on, on the table, your dog may not eat it. Not because your dog looks at the steak and thinks, you know, I'm better than this. Uh, I don't need to go and eat that steak, right? <laughs> no. The first chance he gets, he's going to eat the steak, okay? But he's only refraining from eating the steak because in his mind, right, he's he's the omega in the pack and you're the alpha. And if he takes your steak, uh, he's going to be in trouble. He doesn't have the capacity that you and I possess, which is to voluntarily uh, forego that which we want in favor of something which we value more highly still. Okay. And this, of course, is one of the reasons, right? And it's a good analogy, the stake, because it's, it's one of the reasons why in religion, fasting and abstinence are, are always, um, you always have this kind of thing as part of a religious practice, right? It's a uniquely human capacity to do this. You have this, this really basic drive, right, to satisfy a biological need for food. So when hunger arises, so you say, I have the food available, I want it, but I, I'm not going to eat it, right? I mean, that, 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 is, that is an expression of genuine freedom. And th this is right. kind of the same thing that we face anytime we have mm -hmm. a disordered or disproportionate desire for some, for some earthly thing. Right, and, and these are not, uh, these don't exist in, in a vacuum, right? If I wanted, as a kid, to do math the way I want to do math, uh -huh. or I want to speak English the way I want to speak English, then I'm going to find myself miles and miles from where I want to be. <laughs> I don't do my, my navigational calculations correctly. Yeah, good luck uh, on that trip to Mars. It's yeah, <laughs> or if, uh, if I want to use English the way I want to, well, that's fine. I can, I can blabber away any way I like, but is anybody going to understand me? Well, no, they're not. I mean, you know, these these disciplines are in place to increase freedom, not to curtail it. You know, the the discipline necessary to um, uh, you know to do anything requires, as you said, foregoing certain other things. You know, as far as courage is concerned, what the church offers and what the church gives hope for is the fact that you know you can. Through uh, through prayer and discipline, uh, achieve a level of affection for your human beings that doesn't involve some sort of exploitation of them. Mm. You know, some sort of objectification of. Personally speaking, the the first sermon I ever heard from a Catholic was on the radio when I was a much younger Protestant young man who said that you know one of the reasons that the church you know encourages chastity is to avoid the objectification of other people. And, you know, in a world that is, you know, uh, pretty consistently telling us that we should love things and use people, uh, to paraphrase Sheen, that's, that's remarkable. That's a remarkable thing to do. So what if someone were to tell you, you know, the heterosexual guy isn't objectifying his wife. He's, um, he's married to one woman and they have, you know, this loving giving relationship blah 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 right and isn't it just the same for people in same-sex attraction what would, what would you what would you say i mean so why do we have to make it about 
um, about like a violation of chastity and a tendency to objectify people? Why, why can't it be treated just the way we treat heterosexual relationships? Yeah. Well, you have, you start asking yourself, well, what's the point of sex? What is sex for? Yeah. Um, well, these days, of course, you know, I mean, this, no, you're, you're, that, that is a, that is a correct question, right? Um, because it, it, it opens the way to precisely where the, um, you know, where the issue lies. And, um, in our society today, we don't, we don't agree the, basically most people don't agree with the Catholic view of what sex is about. I, I think it, it really does. I mean, that's really one of the central problems here. I think it stems from a, a denial of, um, a denial or at least a, a reduction of, of human nature that there, there, there's no such thing as natural ends, um, that everything is self-defined. You define who you are. Uh, which means, which goes to absolutely everything. Uh, it extends to the things that you do, the things that you desire. You define what you desire. And if you, what makes it good is if you desire it, uh, which is. But once again, doesn't this just make us slaves to our own, <clears throat> slaves to our own urges? Yes. Agree. <laughs> it does. I mean, even, even, yeah, even now, uh, my, yesterday, uh, my wife pointed me out, she was talking with somebody and they brought up something called the platinum rule. Have you ever heard of that, <laughs> no. Rich? I have a feeling that my day is about to get worse. So we have okay. the, <laughs> so you have uh, the golden rule, which is treat others as you would want to be treated. The platinum rule is treat others as they want to be treated. Yeah. No. Um, which is, yeah, which is very, which, which again, it, it, it completely, uh, sub, uh, uh, subjectifies everything. Everything lies in the subject. Everything lies in subjectivity. Uh, and what that does, uh, as, as y'all just pointed out, is when everything lies in the subject, uh, people become the objects uh, when it comes to uh, use and, and, and abuse. You know, so, I mean, when we talk about freedom, freedom must always be attached to what is good. What is good is not up to our decisions. Um, the, you know, the goodness of things is not a democracy. If we just, uh, everybody decides that, you know, something is good, that doesn't make it good. Well, I think that, you know, to address this uh, more specifically within the, the context of courage and same-sex attraction and chastity, you know, the, the old argument prior to broad social acceptance of the, you know, the gay rights movement and things like that was that, you know, people who were gay were uh, depressed, suicidal, alcoholic, uh, chemically dependent. Uh, you know, all these all these pathologies, all these social pathologies, were a result of the failure of the broader society to accept them as as is. When in fact, we've seen within a generation uh, a total reversal of that, and yet the rates of depression, alcoholism, suicide, et cetera, uh, all sorts of self-destructive, all sorts of, of, you know, eminently unhappy outcomes remain unchanged within, within the, the, the gay community. The rates of disease uh, are far higher. The rates of, of uh, domestic abuse are far higher uh, than, than the, the broad norm. That being the case, I'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence that broad social acceptance has led to any happier outcomes. And I think that that's, that speaks to, to what you're saying, Jason, that, um, you know, 
we're not made that way. And, and if we were going to be happy, if that would make us happy, I think that a generation in, soon to be two generations in, we would see far less of these uh, social pathologies within that population. And it ain't happening. Right. That's true. And we can observe other societies in which there has been um, open acceptance for several generations already. And the statistics you're talking about are the same. Like the weight of the evidence does suggest that there's something about, I don't want to say condition, but I want to say that whatever it is that involves, um, that at least is deeply, deeply um, problematic for a person. What I'd be interested in seeing is whether the outcomes are different for people in courage than they are for people in acceptance groups or with no support at all. Sure. Somebody who, somebody who's involved in a group that's about celebrating same-sex attraction or normalizing it or is not in any group at all and just sort of living with same-sex attraction uh, unsupported. Do those people fare differently from the people in courage? That's what I will, that's, that's actually what I want to know. And I, I wonder if anybody's actually looked. I think they have. Um, I couldn't reference exactly uh, where to find the information, uh, but I can speak anecdotally and personally. The very first courage conference I attended was in 2011. And uh, with, with one exception since then, I've gone to every everyone. You find a lot of folks there who are somewhere along that line, somewhere along that, that path, some who are there for their very first time, some who've been there for 30 plus years. I don't think they would be there if they didn't get something out of it, if they didn't get some support out of it. You know, my own uh, experience with courage has been, you know, some good, some bad, um, just like anything else. But I have felt like it's, it has certainly empowered me in ways that I'm not sure when I was living the lifestyle I would have ever been able to do. You know, and this is just personal experience. You know, there's a book recently published in the last couple of years by Dan Matson, who shows up in uh, Desire of the Everlasting Hills, a Courage video called Why I Do Not Call Myself Gay. And he goes through his, his own experience, uh, you know, his own departure from the faith. Um, you know, he and I have walked similar paths, um, but all of that is to say that this is, you know, there are resources out there and it's ultimately far, far happier to find yourself able to, to discipline your, your sexual impulses and filter those in such a way that they become a way to love another person without being exploitative, to actually find yourself so full of the love of Christ that you can give affection and love and care and receive affection and love and care without getting anything out of it in a, as I say, in an exploitative way. Dan Matson, you know, he's, he's certainly out and I would recommend his book to anyone. I would also recommend the video that Courage uh, produced uh, several years ago called Desire of the Everlasting Hills. Jason and I were also talking earlier about another video called The Third Way. Both of these uh, videos work in tandem very nicely together as people explore and as people outline and, and explain 
their own experiences of being in a lifestyle, being miserably unhappy in it, being lied to about what uh, what this will do for you. You know, you, you know, life is going to be so much better for you if you engage in this. You'll, you know, you'll have a boyfriend, you'll have a girlfriend, you'll have this, you'll have the other. Uh, it'll be wonderful. And oh yeah, but there are some really, really dark spots, really dark, far worse than anything uh, you'll experience if you actually live a disciplined, chaste life. Uh, I, I, I commend those to anyone who's, who's, uh, who's looking for you know a good couple of documentaries it sounds like courage really tries to help people understand who they are as human persons it goes back to just kind of a a, a genuine christian anthropology and then you know founded on that truth i mean whether you have uh, same-sex attraction or opposite attraction you're called to live your sexuality in a chaste way i mean that just sounds you know basic to to absolutely everybody, you know, and, and of course, courage, you know, ministers to those with the particular same sex attraction. But I think everything you just everything you just said, I think is needed today, because we live in a over sexualized world, where even the, the heterosexual person needs the same thing, they need to have great understanding of, uh, of a Christian anthropology, of, of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God to understand that we have these natural ends built into us. Um, that sex has a particular end. And when we live according to the truth, we will be happy. And, and, and the tricky part comes is, even if it seems counterintuitive, which, I mean, all of us, you know, we're in college at some point, and the truth always seems, you know, counterintuitive, I think, in college. You're like, you know, that could never make me happy. Here we are later in life, and we're, we're saying, yes, you know, when we live our life according to the truth, and according to what is good, that actually brings about happiness that, that we can't, even in some cases, we can't rationalize or we can't even, you know, in, in many experiences, we can't explain in that way. And I think, you know, some of the resources you pointed out, like, you know, the video, The Third Way, you know, it's kind of the sentiment that a lot of them uh, bring to it is, you know, and I it never seemed this way uh, until I, you know, went and lived it. So, so Lyle, what are, what are maybe some resources they can go to or, you know, how do they go about uh, reaching out or looking into uh, courage? Yeah, uh, we do have a chapter for courage here in Nashville. The initial step is to uh, send an email, actually, uh, for a number of reasons. We have a, a, a structured way in which folks contact us. And uh, that I presume there will be an opportunity to put this up later in the video. We'll have it all in the show notes. Okay. As well, all the um, links and everything. So like that. yeah, reach out to uh, CourageNashville at gmail.com. Um, there's also Courage itself has its own website, which is CourageRC.org, and um, that's a good way for people who may be a little more isolated. Uh, people who may not have a Courage chapter in their area to to really connect with some of the resources that are available. Those are those are the two initial ways I would recommend that someone look into Courage, see if it's uh, see if it's a good fit for them. For some people, it is not for a variety of reasons. Courage does not it's not what everybody needs at at a particular point. That being said, the door is always open. Well, they may still they may still benefit from some of the resources that you make available, though, right? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, you know, there's there are reading lists there. There are you know podcasts and and uh, video and audio presentations that 
are are tremendous. And for anyone who does become a Courage member and, and participates in, in their local chapter, the annual conference is a phenomenal way to connect with other people from all over the world, just really plug in to a community of faithful, serious Catholics, you know, uh, who really mean it. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that I most appreciate about Courage and the people that I've met there is that in spite of our struggles, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of, of our foibles and our failings, we mean it. And, you know, here are people who will make themselves available to, you know, pick you up when you fall down and dust you off and, and pat you on the back and say, okay, keep going onward and upward. And for all Catholics, I think it's important uh, to go to go look at the website because at some point somebody is going to ask you about uh, the topic of homosexuality or same-sex attraction, you know, or there's going to be somebody in your family group or friends that have this issue or that are dealing with this issue, whether it be personally or even intellectually. I've spoken to many, um, you know, high school teachers that, you know, the many of the kids that they teach, you know, they're they're on board with. A lot of the church's teachings, uh, but this one in particular, uh, they struggle with because uh, the church's position seems unloving. So I think it's important for Catholics to to research this to and, and to find uh, particular ways to not only understand it but to explain it and talk to people about it without again going back to what we had said about acceptance. Uh, um, uh, to be able to talk to somebody in a reasonable way uh, without condemning them. Um, but at the same time, without condoning what is sinful. I want to second everything that Lyle said about, you know, looking at the resources. There's a, a lot of resources. And even just if you're not sure about it, they even have quite a few testimonies on there uh, of people's experience. And it may be, like you said, you know, courage may not be for everybody uh, that has same-sex attraction right now. But what what that person may need is, you know, somebody to talk to about it in a reasonable way. And that may be you know, one of our listeners. Uh, so I think that's why it's important for us to prepare ourselves, uh, not just for our own intellectual development and understanding, but also for those that we come into contact with. Well, and, and likewise, I think that the, uh, the compliments should go both ways. Uh, Catholic Studies Academy provides to uh, Courage members a lot of really solid, good understanding of theology and philosophy that underlie Catholic teaching on, on these topics. So, you know, I recommend courage uh, to our CSA members and I recommend CSA to our courage members. I think that these, these are uh, twin resources that work extremely well in tandem. You know, I, I can't say enough good about both. Thank you for that little plug there. (laughs) Well, Appreciate that. Uh, and it's and, and it's true. I mean, the way that we can really strive to live good Catholic lives is to develop our understanding and develop our own intellectual mind. And when we have those uh, when we have those intellectual developments, that greater understanding that informs the will and helps us to act with no pun intended, but to act with more courage. Uh, no matter what we're doing, those intellectual convictions, as John Paul II said, lead to courageous and upright action. I just want to encourage all of our listeners, if you're, if you're looking for resources with regards to uh, understanding or helping somebody or for just yourself, look at Courage. And like I said, we'll put a lot of these links and we'll put uh, in our show notes, check below 
on our show notes, and we'll have all these links and the local connection uh, to the, the Courage chapter here in Nashville. Uh, any final thoughts, Lyle or Dr. Buzzichelli? Yeah, so, I, I, you know, Lyle and I have known each other for many years now, right? And I actually remember when uh, when Lyle wanted to organize for, um, for a Courage chapter in uh, Nashville. And that's, um, you know, when he... Um, you know, he asked if we could have lunch and talk about it, right? He had never told me about this aspect of his life before. And, you know, you were, um, you know, you were pretty reticent that there would be some fallout, right, from, uh, from revealing this. And it turned out that was a giant nothing burger, wasn't it? I mean, the, <laughs> if I remember correctly, that was just a nothing, right? Right. No, uh, but, but the that, flack, where does the yeah. flack actually come from? It, it comes, you do. Uh, I can't flat, tell right? you the number of, of friends from the community, uh, by which I mean, you know, the, the, the gay community, people uh -huh. who, people that I used to socialize with, people that I was pretty close with. This, this uh, development away from, uh, from, from the gay community into a fuller, richer, deeper understanding of, of what it is to be not just a Catholic, but to be a human being, meaning that I would leave that world behind. You know, the vitriol and the and the confusion and and the anger, you know, and and just the abandonment. You know, here I was concerned about being abandoned by my by my you know Christian friends, by my Catholic friend. I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> I think that this speaks this story speaks volumes about what about the reality. To me, that's a very important story to tell, you know? Yeah. Well, any, any concluding thoughts here? One thing we didn't talk about, uh, and I do want to tap on this just a second, is the distinction between chastity and celibacy. Uh -huh. um, yeah. That, that tends to be a, a big point of confusion among uh, not just uh, Christians in general, uh, the general public, but Catholics even. Celibacy is the unmarried state it's the state of being unmarried. Chastity is is uh, much broader. It's uh, it's it's the proper use of the sexual powers. You know now what that looks like is is an even deeper discussion, probably for another podcast. But yeah, there is a distinction between chastity uh, and celibacy. So let's not confuse the two, and um, and let's be aware that they are different. Yeah, and we're all called to chastity. <laughs> everyone, whether you're whether you're married, yeah, everyone is. It's that right ordering of our sexual desires. Yeah, uh, and, and to put them into to to proper context and to live them in a like we had talked about earlier, uh, live them with a freedom, uh, which again can never be separated from what is good and uh, right. That'll do it for us today at Take Every Thought Captive. I want to thank Lyle for joining us My pleasure. Uh, in this very important podcast. I think it's a very important topic that we all need to struggle with intellectually and, and work towards uh, a greater understanding and a greater sensitivity uh, to those around us uh, and to the issue at large. And so Dr. Bruce Kelly, Lyle, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today. I think this is good. I hope our listeners have found it uh, um, useful and helpful. Uh, in the meantime, check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.